Welcome to episode 10 of our podcast series. This podcast features material from our November 2021 print edition of the Residential Aged Care Communique. I'm Professor Joseph Ibrahim, the editor of that edition. This podcast focuses on the death of a resident from inadvertent poisoning. The case encompasses the supply and storage of chemical agents, the roles and intersection of the clinical, personal care and domestic staff, as well as the emergency management response, and of course, the importance of verbal and written communication. The commentary, we have seen it all before, highlights the lessons from this case many which were already described in past editions archived in our library of residential aged care communiques. This podcast highlights the importance of looking back on past lessons and seeing whether we have applied measures that will improve patient safety. Let's now listen to the editorial. The contents of this podcast include an editorial case, managing poisoning and maintaining poise, and a commentary, we have seen it all before. Editorial. The year 2021 has been another challenging and busy time with the emphasis on implementation of the national COVID-19 vaccination program to protect our residents and each other. With the understandable saturation coverage of the pandemic for the past two years, we have chosen to shift our focus towards a topic that is not often addressed, but is a significant clinical risk causing residents to become hospitalized or die. For those subscribers who are keen on learning more about COVID-19 and aged care, we have provided a list of peer review academic articles from our team's research program. These include studies describing the COVID-19 outbreaks in Victoria, Australia, and models for risk management during a disaster response. We will continue to monitor the coroner's courts of New South Wales and Victoria, which will be holding inquests into the residential aged care COVID-19 outbreaks in their jurisdictions. In this edition, we present a case with a wide range of professional, organisational and environmental risks. The death of a resident from inadvertent poisoning illustrates the interconnectedness of the multiple components that are needed to successfully operate a residential aged care service. The case encompasses the supply and storage of chemical agents, the roles and intersection of the clinical, personal care and domestic staff, emergency management response, verbal and written communication. Poise is one of the professional characteristics needed when managing any emergency. A state of being balanced, level-headed and calm are essential to assessing a situation, gathering the necessary information and responding quickly. I have taken the liberty of writing the commentary we have seen it all before to highlight that there was nothing that should have been surprising about this case. By recognising the vulnerabilities in our organisation, we could be proactive in risk assessments to keep those in our care safer. The other interesting aspect of the case is how clearly the methods of injury prevention are applied to the medico-legal investigation into this death. The commentary draws on cases and expert commentaries from our library of residential aged care communique issues, reinforcing we have seen it all before. Let's now listen to a description of our case report titled Managing Poisoning, Maintaining Poise.
Clinical Summary Mr. M was an 89-year-old male war veteran who had enlisted in the army when he was just 15 years old to fight in World War II. His past medical history included dementia, prostate cancer, and ischemic heart disease, for which he was prescribed aspirin, clopidogrel, and perendopril. Mr. M had been living at an aged care facility for five years. One hot spring day, Mr. M went outdoors on a day trip with the care staff and returned after lunch to his room, which had been cleaned that morning. Later that afternoon, a personal care attendant entered Mr. M's room to close the windows so that the air conditioner could more effectively cool the space. The personal care attendant noticed a bottle without its lid appeared to be half empty of the cleaning fluid backband, a no-rinse sanitizer containing a quaternary ammonium compound. The personal care attendant reported this to the registered nurse, explaining her concerns that Mr. M had consumed some of the cleaning fluid. Mr. M, with the assistance of the personal care worker, continued to rinse out his mouth. One set of vital signs was taken over the next two hours, with a temperature of 37.2 degrees Celsius, blood pressure of 197 to 76 millimetres of mercury, and a pulse of 59 beats per minute. Another RN rang the poison's information line at 2.46, explaining that she was told that 10 to 15 millilitres of backban was ingested and reported that in her view that he was asymptomatic. The RN was reassured, advised to monitor for symptoms, and that given the amount and concentration of the ingested fluid, it was not expected to cause a burn. After ringing the poison's information line, this RN returned to Mr. M's room, finding him to be uncooperative, swinging his arms and saying that his mouth was burning. The RN inspected his mouth and did not see evidence of trauma and also considered that Mr. M was not distressed. Approximately two hours after the initial alarm was raised, another personal care attendant observed that Mr. M was not breathing properly with blood and thick saliva coming from his mouth. This PCA pushed the emergency call bell at 4.55 and within a few minutes, the ambulance service was called. The paramedics attended within minutes and observed that Mr. M was anxious with an ulcerated mouth and coughing up frank blood, estimated as approximately 100 millilitres. As Mr. M's condition had deteriorated, the ambulance service arranged a transfer to the acute care hospital and arrived within one hour of the emergency call. The hospital staff in the emergency department called the family as his condition continued to deteriorate, requiring intubation and ventilation to maintain oxygen saturation. The staff noted the presence of a large blood clot inside his mouth and post-intubation, a CT scan showed edema of the oropharynx and bilateral lower lobe collapse. The hospital staff called the Poisons Information Centre and were informed that according to the National Poisons Register, backban was not considered corrosive at concentrations of 4.9%. However, management should be based on clinical features. After being intubated, he was admitted to the intensive care unit where a diagnosis of corrosive esophagitis was made following an endoscopy. Three days later, he went into asystole and died. Pathology. A forensic pathologist completed a full autopsy, including toxicological testing. 
The cause of death was multi-organ failure with pneumonia due to the ingestion of a corrosive liquid. The presence of Alzheimer's dementia and ischemic heart disease were significant conditions contributing to his death. Investigation. Mr. M's family raised concerns with the circumstances around how the bottle of Backban was left in Mr. M's room. There were also a number of other uncertainties around the circumstances of death, and so the coroner directed an inquest be held. This was a long and complex case. The inquest required six days in court, and the whole investigation took approximately six years to conclude from the time of death. Apart from the counsel assisting the court, the resident's family, the aged care provider and the producer of Backban were also represented in the court hearings. Fifteen people gave oral evidence in court. The coroner also had reports or statements obtained from the family, police, Poison's Information Service, the aged care facility, hospital and paramedic staff, as well as the aged care facility records. Three additional sources of evidence included CCTV footage of the entry and exit to Mr M's room, which identified the exact times of staff entering and leaving the room, the bottle of cleaning fluid which had been sent for analysis, and expert opinions from a forensic toxicologist and an emergency medicine specialist. There were over 10 separate matters that the coroner identified at pre-inquest conference that needed to be explored at inquest. Some of these included what was in the bottle of cleaning fluid, how did Mr M obtain the bottle of cleaning fluid, and what was the aged care staff's response to the medical emergency, and whether the information given to the Poisons Information Centre was adequate. 1. What was in the bottle of cleaning fluid? The aged care facility used Backban, which is a no-rinse sanitizer for cleaning containing a quaternary ammonium compound. The National Occupational Health and Safety Commission defines a substance as corrosive when it contains 10% or more of a quaternary ammonium compound. The aged care facility has Backban delivered in a concentrated form of 4.9% in 5 litre quantities, which is considered non-hazardous and non-corrosive. When cleaning rooms, staff would decant Backban using a smart pump which dispensed 5 milliliters of the concentrated form at a time and then would be expected to dilute it in 750 milliliters of water. In contrast, the kitchen and laundry had a system where the Backban was automatically diluted as the water was connected and piped in at the same time. All the cleaning staff had training in how to decant and dilute the cleaning fluid. As part of the investigation, the cleaning bottle containing the backband was retrieved from the acute care hospital and sent for chemical analysis. The volume of the bottle, which when full would have been 500 millilitres and contained 325 millilitres of fluid, which was undiluted backband at a concentration of 5%. 2. How did Mr M obtain the bottle of cleaning fluid? A review of the CCTV footage showed that the cleaner initially entered the room to vacuum and a little later brought in a bottle. The label of the bottle was not visible. When the cleaner left the room to move on to the next area, only the vacuum cleaner was visible. The cleaner could not recall what the bottle contained. Her belief was that it was an air freshener and not backban. 3. What was the aged care staff's response to the emergency? The RN who rang Poison's Information Centre 
stated that 10 to 15 milliliters were consumed and reported that Mr. M was asymptomatic. It did not occur to the RN to clarify with the person who found the bottle how much fluid had been consumed. Observations of Mr. M were limited, with only one set of vital observations written in the record, with two sets of time written beside it. The paramedics recorded that Mr. M had ingested approximately 200 milliliters of backband. The family were not aware of the incident and did not know Mr. M had been transferred from the aged care facility until the staff at the hospital contacted them. 4. Expert Opinions The coroner sought opinions from two expert witnesses. The first was a pharmacologist and forensic toxicologist, and the second had dual qualifications as a general practitioner and an emergency medicine specialist. The toxicologist confirmed that backban is corrosive and lethal if taken in large amounts, that the majority of documented poisonings occur at concentrations of 10%. He further explained that both the concentration and the total amount of the QAC ingested needed to be considered that ingested amounts of between 100 milligrams per kilogram to 400 milligrams per kilogram. In this case, if Mr. M had consumed 200 milliliters at a concentration of 5% and taking into account his body weight, then the amount ingested was 139 milligrams per kilogram. This is within the lethal range. He also considered that the prescribed antiplatelet medication Mr. M was taking would increase the likelihood of bleeding. The emergency medicine specialist opined that Mr. M's early symptoms of coughing and complaints of burning was enough to warrant seeking a medical assessment. He concluded that Mr. M's death would not have been prevented as the greatest opportunity to reduce damage and potential death is early with first aid management being provided within seconds to a few minutes. He also explained that knowledge of backban would not be routinely expected of aged care, nursing or most medical practitioners. Findings and conclusions. These are some of the coroner's findings and conclusions. It was known that Mr. M had dementia and that this condition increases the risk of misadventure. The bottle of Backband did not contain a diluted solution. It had the same concentration as that delivered in the 5 litre bottles, 4.9% QAC. The cleaner had inadvertently left the bottle of Backband in Mr. M's room and that there was no system in place to ensure that no chemical or other cleaning items were left in residents' rooms. The nursing staff response was inadequate. Specifically, the clinical monitoring, measuring and documentation of Mr M's vital signs and the lack of documentation. That if the Poisons Information Centre had been advised that an undetermined amount of corrosive liquid was ingested, they would have advised Mr M be transferred to hospital. Mr M should have been transferred to hospital earlier. Although an earlier transfer would not have prevented Mr M's death, it would have enabled better symptom management. The aged care home staff should have notified the family of the transfer to hospital. Prior to the inquest, the facility had completed reviews of their practices and made several changes, 
some of which included removing all five litre backband containers from the cleaning rooms. Staff were re-educated on chemical usage and storage, and a system was implemented of chemical sign-off sheets after leaving a resident's room and daily audits of chemicals. Recommendation. The coroner's final statement was that it should be presumed that where an ingestion of a substance is unwitnessed and the patient is unable to give an indication of how much was ingested, that the worst case scenario be assumed. Author's comments. In this case, the assumption from the outset should have been that if a 500 milliliter bottle had 325 milliliters of the cleaning fluid remaining, Mr. M had ingested up to 200 milliliters. Let's now listen to the commentary titled, We Have Seen It All Before. Commentary, We Have Seen It All Before, from Professor Joe Ibrahim, Department of Forensic Medicine, Monash University. Over the past 15 years, we have published 60 editions of the Residential Aged Care Communique. The case we presented in this edition is unique and yet when you read and think about it, it is all too familiar. Consider the following facts. Dementia. Over half of all residents in aged care have dementia or some other form of cognitive impairment. A person with dementia may have issues with any or all of the six cognitive domains. This includes language, memory, attention and ability to process information to understand and respond, visual perception to interpret what we see and how to use day-to-day -day items. The final domain is executive function, used to describe the cognitive processes required for mental control and self-regulation of behaviour and emotion. We know a person with dementia may display behavioural patterns that place them at risk of harm. This includes episodes of resident-on-resident -resident aggression, unexplained absences, and difficulty wayfinding. Here are a couple of examples from past editions of the RAC communique involving ingestion of foreign objects. In the Residential Aged Care Communique, Volume 2, Issue 2, April 2008, we presented the case of a 66-year-old male with severe Alzheimer's dementia requiring constant supervision at home and daytime respite four days a week was found dead in the bathroom. An autopsy examination found a firmly impacted artificial grape in his airway, causing acute obstruction. In another case, which was in Residential Aged Care Communique, Volume 5, Issue 3, August 2010, a coroner concluded that Mr B's airway was partially occluded by the handkerchief and stated the care plan was inadequate in that it failed to properly set out with appropriate prominence his at-risk behaviour in placing objects in his mouth, which led to the risk of choking. The coroner also noted that the handkerchiefs were inappropriately stored in Mr B's wardrobe. Cleaning. We know residential aged care facilities, hospitals and clinics need to be cleaned regularly to maintain hygiene and lower risk of infection. That said, cleaning fluids are a potentially toxic agent and should be stored securely. Inadvertent poisoning occurs. We know how often from research published this year by Wajid and colleagues. 
This research study reviewed data from July 2014 to July 2019 involving individuals with dementia reported to the New South Wales Poisons Information Centre after intentional or unintentional poisoning. There was a total of 2,726 cases. Of these, 711 were accidental exposures and 46 cases were attributed to the ingestion of hand sanitizer. Emergency response. Ensuring an adequate response requires being proactive, recognising the existence of hazards, planning what to do, having the resources that are needed. Immediate action by a small number of staff who know what to do and how to access any necessary equipment or assistance requires teamwork. The expert commentary by Dr Shelley Shefcott addresses how we can prepare for a crisis through rehearsal and training. That was in our Residential Aged Care Communique, Volume 5, Issue 1, February 2010. It's worth revisiting that whole issue, which focuses on how we respond to emergency clinical situations due to an internal hazard in the aged care facility. Documentation and incident investigation. The problem with recalling events accurately and the importance of contemporaneous documentation are known to all health professionals. It's worth revisiting another past issue that has expert commentaries addressing these matters along with a description of the benefits and limitations of root cause analysis, a technique that is useful for clinical incident investigations. Many of these issues were presented in the Residential Aged Care Communique, Volume 8, Issue 1, March 2013. Conclusion if you agree with me that these facts are widely known and were established many years ago, then how do we explain the situation described in this case with Mr M? There are many different reasons. Perhaps the simplest is when we become familiar with people and our surroundings, we no longer see the potential risks. This highlights the need to be proactive, to revisit practices we take for granted and look again with a fresh and different perspective. Another reason is the general lack of appreciation of how other parts of the team or organisation operate. Each component of the organisation is seemingly operating in its own way and independently. It's only by examining the overlapping areas in time, place, person and roles do we start to appreciate the whole. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. Remember, the online print versions are available at our website, which also includes a list of the recommended resources and references. I'm Joseph Ibrahim. Thanks for listening.